0: Farm Food Facts, where every farmer, every acre, and every voice matter. Welcome to Farm Food Facts for Wednesday, September 11th, 2019. I'm your host, Phil Limpert. Today's episode is going to delve deep into sustainable agriculture. We have two very special guests with us, Jill Wheeler and Pat Duncanson. Jill is Head of Sustainable Productivity for Syngenta in North America, where she oversees the U.S. and Canadian implementation of the company's Good Growth Plan, a series of six measurable global commitments designed to improve food security, rural prosperity, and environmental sustainability by 2020. Pat Duncanson is owner of Duncanson Growers and Highland Family Farms, a diversified farming operation in southern Minnesota. Duncanson and his wife, Kristen, produce corn, soybeans, hogs, specialty grains, and vegetable peas. The pair is widely recognized for their leadership in sustainable agriculture and have been certified as river-friendly farmers for their environmentally responsible production practices. Jill, I'm going to start with you. There's a lot of talk about agriculture and sustainability, whether it's from retailers, whether it's from farmers. How can we define sustainable agriculture?
1: You're absolutely right. Uh, You ask 100 different people, you'll get 100 different answers. But from an agricultural perspective, I think it's really good to keep two key themes in mind. And the first is that you need to look at it from the standpoint of three pillars. It has to be environmentally sustainable, socially sustainable, and economically sustainable. And the other key element within agriculture is we need to look at it as continuous improvement. It's a journey that allows for modification along the
0: way. So, Jill, you know, uh, going back a couple years ago in the food world, we had celebrity chefs. Now I see that moving to I hate to use the word celebrity, but celebrity farmers, consumers, shoppers want to get as close to the farmer as possible. Why is that?
1: Yes. And you're exactly right. It's like farmers are the new rock stars. I think a big thing driving it is simply because you look at our population demographics and only about 2% of people work in agriculture nowadays. Not many people, not many consumers know a farmer, but they're really curious because food is so personal and so important. They want to know who is that farmer, who's that face behind their food. And then we also have just a whole culture of transparency driven by the internet and social media. We're used to having all of this data available. We're used to being able to get all of these answers to these questions. So I think both of those things are coming together and making everybody curious about farmers and what's going on on
0: the farm. So, Pat, I want to switch a little bit the conversation to the consumer. Um, we, we read all these surveys, especially when it comes to millennials and Generation Z, that they want to know where their food is coming from. Just as Jill had said, they want to know how it's produced. Um, what do consumers really want to know specifically about their foods?
2: that has evolved uh, tremendously over the 30 or 35 years that I've been involved as a full-time farmer. And I think it varies widely uh, depending on the type of food that's being produced, whether it's involved in animal agriculture or produce, or uh, primarily I'm a uh, corn and soybean a grain producer uh, in the heart of the Midwest. So it can vary widely from, you know, the amount of inputs that we put into it, the amount of water that's used, how we take care of the soil, how we take care of our communities, and uh, more importantly, is the system that we have is it long-term repeatable? Can we count on it being here uh, for the next generation? And I think intuitively, a lot of farmers are already tuned into thinking about the next generation. We tend to have a longer-term time horizon.
0: So when you talk to consumers, and I, and I know that you know consumers are asking you questions all the time. What's the one thing that they? Are saying to you that they'd really like you to do that's impossible to do.
2: Oh wow, that is that is a great question. Um, so um, first of all, uh, there are there are conversations that I've been involved with from time to time, and depending on what that particular consumer is interested in, it could be a water question, how much water we're using, what the impact of surplus water that we have, and how we uh, how that impacts the environment. Um, a, a lot of our conversations revol- revolve around water. But one of the things that is impossible for us to do is because we are involved in a, in a an industry that relies absolutely 100% on interactions with the environment, is that we will have an impact on the environment. There is no way that we can produce food and not have an impact on the environment. Now, that impact doesn't necessarily have to be negative. It can be a positive impact. For instance, the the corn that we grow is a tremendous oxygen producer in the Midwest. It absorbs a lot of carbon dioxide every year and produces a lot of oxygen. Um, but that's one thing that if, if we're going to raise food, we're going to have an impact on the environment. But as consumers, and I'm a consumer as well, um, we have the ability to make choices. Um, for instance, if we want to have strawberries in February, it's going to have a different impact. Than if it's going to be the strawberry that I've raised in my garden backyard and, and, and picked and literally uh, eaten within a few minutes of being fresh and ripe.
0: You know, I, lo- I love your strawberry example. Um, so, as a farmer, and when you take all, all of the inputs that you've talked about um, and think about health and wellness and taste and whatever else, should we be growing strawberries in February?
2: Well, I think that's a consumer choice. And as long as we um adequately inform the consumers of what those costs are and it's entirely possible that strawberries in February are maybe not any worse than a lot of the other foods that we eat but I think we need to realize that there is a cost um and most of us recognize that in the northern climates and I'm from Minnesota we are we are not able to grow strawberries locally unless there you know a tremendous amount of resources are expended mm-hmm. so It makes sense to say, well, we're going to grow those someplace else and and ship them in. And as long as we understand what those costs are, I think it's up to the consumer to decide if they if they want strawberries in February or not.
0: So, Jill, um, can we measure sustainability?
2: Yes,
1: but it all depends, of course what you're seeking to do Um, this is one of those areas that's really evolving we are all looking for what are the most relevant metrics but of course it all depends upon your objectives so from past perspective farming is still a business so we have to evaluate sustainability within management practices and what that does to the bottom line but as we've also just talked about if you're a consumer you may have very different metrics that you're evaluating So I always encourage people, think about what is it that you want to accomplish, but then also think about short and long-term impacts. Um, As as Pat said, in agriculture, we tend to look a long ways down the road. So we have several practices. One of them that's becoming very popular, for example, is cover crops. But you may not see the full results of that for three to five years. So you have to look again at a long-term metric as opposed to a short one, even within the business of farming.
0: And last question, and I'd like you both to answer this, uh, Jill, maybe you can you can start. Um, what should we be doing to improve our current food system?
1: You know, I think it is not as much about what do we need to continue to improve because we're doing that with sustainability. My biggest fear is I don't want to see us going backwards because we start measuring for the wrong things. Um, farming is a complex biological system and every choice that we make has ramifications in other elements of the system. So I do want to see us continue to take a very broad perspective in evaluating all of our practices. And I'll give you one example. Um, we've made considerable gains in, in no-till, that's conservation tillage, which is where we don't pull out the plows. It's very good for the soil to do that, but it also requires that we have herbicides to manage the weeds. So there's been some talk of um, getting rid of herbicides, for example, but that would mean that we would actually have to backtrack to older practices, which are very detrimental to the soil. They rip it up. They destroy the structure. So we have to look at tools and what are all of the other elements. If we take away this tool, what is that going to be doing to the rest of the system? And let's look at it holistically from that
2: system perspective.
0: Uh, Pat, what do you think we can do to improve?
2: Well, uh, certainly I think we are on a a path and I have been my whole farming career and most of my neighbors are as well of continuous improvement in that as producers, as we become aware of uh, certainly consumer concerns and also concerns even amongst uh, amongst just the professional ag community, um, we are continuously trying to improve. Uh, And I think education and, uh, and the knowledge on both sides of the equation, both on the consumer side and the producer side, and continued dialogues is is a great path for that continuous improvement.
0: Well, Pat, Jill, thank you so much for joining us today on Farm Food Facts. Appreciate it. Great.
2: Have a good day.
0: And now for the news you need to know. Recent USDA report sees dire climate change impact on U.S. crops. This summer, we've experienced the hottest June on record due to climate change, and that has troubling implications for U.S. ag, according to a report issued by the USDA's Economic Research Service. Unchecked climate change could mean that the weather conditions hurting farmers this year will become increasingly common, resulting in a decline in U.S. production of corn and soybeans by as much as 80 percent over the next 60 years. As a result, corn and soybean prices would skyrocket, as would the price of crop insurance. According to the study, which the Wall Street Journal reported on, the price of crop insurance to the federal government could rise to $7.6 billion a year for corn and $3.3 billion for soybeans. In comparison, the USDA has spent roughly $300 million on insurance for the current crop year as of July 2019. And although the impact of climate change is dire, ongoing research on sustainable agriculture is helping farmers continue to improve upon their practices. How to Feed the World and Preserve the Environment According to Purdue University's Agriculture News, farmers bear much of the burden for growing food to feed billions of people as the world's population grows. To do this, farmers need to keep crops healthy and high yielding. That necessitates using fertilizers and pesticides, which can be helpful, but sometimes have an inadvertent negative impact on the environment. For instance, pollinators can be harmed. Waterways may become infiltrated with nutrient loads or atmospheric greenhouse gases may increase. We want to feed the world, but we also want to preserve the environment. Is it possible to do both? Sylvie Browder, a professor of agronomy, believes it is. Her goal is to assist farmers in getting the most out of their fields while reducing environmental harm. Her work focuses on carbon and nitrogen cycling in soil, carbon sequestration, greenhouse gas emissions, and water quality impacts of farming. Browder's research has led to the development of nutrient management guides and technologies that reduce greenhouse gas emissions and improve air and water quality by balancing the amount of nitrogen and other fertilizers that are applied to fields that are taken up by plants or added to the organic nitrogen reserves of healthy soils. She also focuses on modifying tile drainage systems and crop rotations to keep nutrients from entering waterways. Another facet of her research explores cover crops, such as cereal rye, which can reduce soil erosion and take up residual soil nitrogen to prevent it from leaching into streams and rivers. For more information on all things food and agriculture, and to listen to our archives, please visit fooddialogues.com under the Programs and Media tab, and visit us on Facebook at U.S. Farmers and Ranchers, or on Twitter at USFRA. Until next time.